Oh, this whole thing? Oh, this whole thing? Oh, I just picked it up a couple years ago. Uh, listen, uh, this is a big deal for our church. This has become a defining thing for our church. And before I get to telling you just personally about me, uh, Rusty, thank you for your leadership. You're the real deal. I mean, you're a guy who sat in the back row, and now you're leading thousands of people all over the country to bring an end to the global water crisis. And we get to play a little part of that. Now, this little piece of hardware did not come easy. I'm not going to lie to you. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life and one of the best things I've ever done in my life. And I also want to set the record straight just to be really clear. I actually didn't sign up for the marathon. Jeannie signed me up for the marathon. <laughs> so I didn't have a choice in it. She ran it the next year. And uh, this is a, a, a big deal. And I would strongly encourage you uh, to follow whatever prompting that may be for you. This is a, a huge step that you can take and a real community that's formed. And in case you're, again, thinking, oh, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. Uh, we have someone in our midst. Where's Alva at? Alva's here. Uh, Alva actually was sitting here four years ago, had never run a marathon, ran his very first marathon four years ago. At age 69, he ran his first marathon. Hold your applause because since that first marathon four years ago, he's run 15 marathons since. Now you can cheer on Alva. That's incredible. And basically, the only question I have for you is, what are you doing with your life? This man's out there lapping you, all right? You can do this. You can actually do this. And I think what's going to happen is a greater thing is going to happen in you and then through you as we partner with God to bring clean water to people we desperately love all over this world. So you can do that. And all, all the things that we do, I might wear this the whole message, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> All the things that we do around here, from all the support that we do through Love Works, which you're going to hear about in a little bit, uh, to all that we did last weekend at Easter and the week before with our big find, all the amazing things that God's doing in and through this church, happen because every day ordinary people like you just say yes to him. And you say yes to looking at all that you've got as actually a gift from God, that it came from God. And so we pause every time we gather to take a moment to intentionally respond to God's goodness in our life. This is a small way. It's one of the ways that we can do that. We give of ourselves. We give financially back to God, see, because it's his first that he gave and entrusted to us. Three ways that you can do that if you came ready. If you're a guest here, this next part is not for you. But if you came ready to do that, we are, they're going to give you an opportunity in a second to do the old school way in the buckets. Or you can text in to give. That's a great way to do it. If maybe you don't have any cash on you, you want to give, you have that nudge, you can text in. The number's right on the screen behind me. Or you can actually go online and sign up to do that uh, faithfully and consistently and joyfully. That's how Jeannie and I do it. That's how actually the majority of our church gives is online. You can set it up to do that. But for now, I'm going to ask our amazing host team volunteers to come forward. And as they do, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next. You just find one person, so everyone needs to find someone. And I want you to answer this question. What is your favorite uniquely Chicago thing? What's one of your favorite just unique things to Chicago that you love, all right? So think about what's one of the unique Chicago things that you actually love. We love our city, so take a second to just talk about one of the unique things you actually love about the city of Chicago. All right, a lot of love for Chicago. Uh, maybe one of the things uh, you mentioned is the lakefront. You love the lake. I love how our city treats a lake like an ocean. And uh, we love that. Maybe one of the things you love is how we can celebrate winter at the end of April. <laughs> Not going to talk about that. Uh, maybe for you, you love the pizza. We do pizza the right way, right? If it doesn't have six metric tons of cheese, it's not right. 
If it doesn't take a spotter to lift that slice, you're eating the wrong kind of pizza. Uh, one of the things I love about Chicago that I didn't know was missing in my life until I moved here uh, was the way we do hot dogs. We do hot dogs right. And in fact, there's a unique way. I don't know if you ever paid attention. There's a unique way to doing a Chicago-style hot dog. I brought one with me. Try not to be jealous. Uh, I love Chicago. You know, to do it properly, you've got to have the poppy seeds on the bun. And then you have to have at least a whole dill pickle somewhere in that hot dog. You gotta stuff that in there. The peppers are critical. You gotta have some peppers. And then if it doesn't have some nuclear green relish, some ungodly, not of this earth color relish in there, it's just not really a Chicago style hot dog. And there's no, they taste like nothing in the world. Let's do a little ASMR while I eat this hot dog. Mm. I'll pass it around for the rest of you <laughs> if you want some. I, I don't care where I get them from. Oh, Home Depot? I'll get a Home Depot hot dog. <laughs> I don't care. As long as it's a Chicago-style hot dog. No shame in my game at all. Now, what makes a, a Chicago hot dog unique is all these ingredients. And if you were to start to take them out, it just starts to lose its uniqueness. You take out the pickle, take off the poppy seeds. If you were to somehow scrape off the nuclear relish off of there, the peppers are gone. This is not, it's not really a hot dog, right? I mean, it might as well be a hot dog from Wisconsin at that point. Like, what is this? Get out of my face. If you put ketchup on your hot dog, please get out of here, right? Because we just, we have a way of doing it in Chicago. And if you don't do it right, then you just, you just missed out. If you take out the key ingredients, then it loses its flavor, loses its unique identity. And that's actually very similar to what we're going to be talking about for the next uh, two weeks, we're going to be looking at something that if you take it out of the Christian message, if you take it out of your Christian experience, you are missing out on what it is intended for. You're actually missing out on what you are intended for. For the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at love works, how we put love to work. And we're going to be looking again at something that is essential to a relationship with Jesus, that if you miss this, you miss out on so much of what he actually has for you. We're going to be talking about the irrefutable, irresistible invitation to love and justice. That that is something you cannot take out of the mix of what it means to find and to actually follow Jesus. And we're going to look at what it means to be poor and how we can actually get in touch with our own poverty. Because the truth about Jesus is that Jesus and the poor are inseparable. They're actually inseparable. In fact, I would say it this way. You don't get Jesus if you forget the poor. You just, you don't get it. You don't get the full experience of Jesus, and you don't get actually what was so important to his life and his mission and what he's invited you and I into. You don't get Jesus if you actually forget about the poor, if you take love and compassion and justice out of the mix. So here's what I want you to do to see that. I want you to grab a Bible and I want you to open to Matthew chapter five. Grab a Bible and open to Matthew chapter five. In the Soul City Bibles, there should be one right under your seat or on your armrest there. You can actually turn to page 785 in the Soul City Bible. Page 785 will get you to Matthew chapter five. Let me give you some quick context. This is actually early in the public ministry of Jesus. And what we're going to be looking at today is something called the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, a section called the Beatitudes, a way of being with and about Jesus in 
this world. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the most famous sermon in all of human history. No sermon I will ever be able to preach will ever come close to what Jesus gave us in this foundational, fundamental sermon. It's what he basically painted the picture for what his ministry would be about and what life with him would actually be like. You can actually find it in the Sermon on the Mount. And at the beginning, it's really important, at the foundation of this foundational sermon, it's important for us to pay attention to what Jesus wants us to see. More specifically, who Jesus is drawing our attention to. Look at what he says in Matthew 5, verse 3. He says, blessed are the what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's where he starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that word blessed there, blessed are the poor in spirit. That word blessed in our modern language, from his language to our language, would translate roughly to something like, um, oh, how lucky you are. Oh, you favored one. You fortunate one, how fortunate are you to be poor in spirit? That feels upside down, doesn't it? Because when you and I think about poor as we understand it, we think about poor being that we're lacking, that there's not enough of, there's a short supply of something. And yet here Jesus is saying, no, actually you are so lucky, you are so fortunate when you are poor in spirit because, he says, the poor already have so much more. They actually already have the kingdom of heaven within them. And in fact, they have far fewer things in their life to compete with the kingdom of heaven being realized in their everyday life. Now, it's important. This is where Jesus starts. Most famous sermon in all of human history. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, blessed are the influencers. Blessed are the upwardly mobile. Blessed are the politically connected. Nope. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he goes on to say this in verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Again, think about that phrase. Oh, how lucky you are when you mourn and grieve. For those of us who've mourned and grieved or who are in a season of mourning and grieving right now, how lucky do you feel? Doesn't feel that way, does it? Again, this is the upside-down teaching of Jesus. Because what he says is when you are at your lowest, you are most open to receiving what nothing else in this world can give you, the comfort of God himself. You will be comforted by God. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or God's will and God's way in this world, for they will be filled. Again, keep in mind the context. Jesus is speaking to people who actually literally knew hunger and thirst, far more than most of us ever have. And he's saying, you know that feeling that you have? They're like, yeah. He goes, yeah, when you hunger and thirst for God's will and God's way on earth, you will be satisfied beyond anything in this world. Blessed are the merciful, for they will actually receive and be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, this pursuit of God's will and God's way on earth, who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Of heaven. Now, this is foundational teaching from Jesus, a foundational sermon at the beginning of his public ministry. And who is it that Jesus decides to start with? What does he build the whole thing on? The poor, the often overlooked, under resourced, 
That's where he starts. So often in our world, the poor are the last to be thought of. Jesus says, not so with me. That's where I'm actually going to start. Now, I've read this passage hundreds of times in my long life with God. I've taught on it dozens of times. But I never noticed something about this passage until this last week studying preparing for our time together. And it has to do with all of the promises that are connected to the conditions that we find ourselves in. You know, there are all those promises. Blessed are you if you're this, because you will receive this, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But look at back to verse 3. Let's go back to verse 3. Jesus does this at the beginning of the Beatitudes and at the end. But we'll just look at verse 3 for the sake of our conversation. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs what? Theirs is. Now let's say it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Remember, all the other ones said, will, 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 will. You will receive this. You will have this. But where he starts and where he ends with the poor and with the persecuted is, blessed are you because you already have. St. Francis was the first to actually note this. He says that all of the rewards in the latter Beatitudes are found in the promise that they will receive. They will, they will, they will. You will, you will, you will. But it's only in the poor and the persecuted that the reward is in the present. In other words, for those who are poor and persecuted, you already have the kingdom of heaven within you. You already get it. It's already here with you. You already have the blessing of the kingdom within you. You may not have much according to the ways of this world, but you have something far greater than anything in or of this world. You have the kingdom of God within you. Now, this elevation of the poor is not an isolated event for Jesus. There are In fact, in the Bible, over 2,000 verses. Wait a second, let me say that again. 2,000 verses that deal with the poor or justice for the poor, heart for, care for, compassion for the poor. We see it repeated all throughout the Bible. And we also see Jesus spending a disproportionate amount of time with those who are poor, not just talking about the poor, but actually talking with the poor, being with the poor. In fact, outside of his disciples, there is no other group, no other group that he spends more amount of time with than the poor. In other words, you you can't honestly or earnestly or authentically follow Jesus without being led to the poor. If you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, you are inevitably, eventually, going to be led to poverty because that's where Jesus is was. Now again, this wasn't just a like a platform position for him that his advisors told him polls really well. Make sure you talk about the poor. People love that. This was not like a platform position for him. This was actually personal. Poverty was in fact Jesus's own experience, at least for the last three years of his life. How do I know this? Jesus told us so himself. You don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, Jesus described himself this way. Jesus replied to a group there and said, listen, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, Jesus knew poverty, not as an abstract concept, but as his own personal experience. He himself was poor. He was, in fact, if you've ever stopped to think about it, a homeless rabbi. That he actually, think about the concept for a second. Think about all the powerful leaders in our world and all the ways they surround themselves with all kinds of 
structure and infrastructure. Jesus was a homeless rabbi, the creator of the universe, dependent on the kindness and goodness and generosity of everyday ordinary people to meet his basic daily needs. That's who Jesus is. He knew poverty personally. And I don't know how many folks here or who are listening to the podcast or watching online can say that about themselves. I know there are a lot of folks in our church who have experienced poverty personally. You know what poverty is. That wasn't my experience uh, growing up. My parents did the best they could to kind of provide what we needed as a family, and I never had to know about what poverty felt like, what poverty was really like. In fact, I, I was, not until high school did I really even get around poverty, you know, because we would kind of drive around poverty. But it was when I was in high school, I was a freshman in high school, and uh, the church I was a part of at the time I had a partnership with an after-school program in the heart of downtown Oakland. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and so we would meet at church, and we'd load up our church van, and we'd drive into a neighborhood that I'd never been to before in the heart of Oakland, and there we met in an old kind of building, and it was an after-school program, and I honestly did not know what to expect. I was nervous. I remember feeling nervous the first time when I went there. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know how I was supposed to interact, but what I was not ready for was that all of the kids in the after-school program were high school kids like me peers, my age. And I remember getting there again, trying to figure out what to do and kind of like, I don't know, what am I supposed to do now? And not remembering a lot of leadership from our church leader at the time. And so I just kind of had to figure it out. And so we would strike up conversation and eventually ended up bonding over playing basketball with a couple of guys. I started bringing my skateboard. So we would, they'd bring skateboards and we'd skateboard together. Uh, I, we would bond over me pretending like I knew all of the underground rappers that they would throw out in sentences. I just nod my head like, yeah, they're the best. Um, and I was able to build relationship and it was a really powerful thing that I still vividly remember. I can remember the building. I can remember everything about it to this day. But what I also remember is that after about two hours or so of hanging out at this after school program, we would all pile back into our church van and safely drive from that part of town back to my part of town. And these kids, these students, kids my age, they were only 15 miles away. It's literally only 15 miles from where I lived to where they lived, but it might as well have been 1,500 miles from where I lived. And what I didn't realize was happening at the time, again, I, I was trying you know, do the best I could, figure it all out with the tools that I had, but what I didn't realize was happening at the time was I was forming camps and categories. I was figuring out that there's an us and a them, that there are um, those who are poor and those who are rich those who are needy, and those who are not. And I, again, I wasn't consciously aware of that. In fact, I was so unaware of that internal structure that I had formed in my mind. It wasn't until Jean and I had moved back to Chicago to start this church. And this is years ago before we even opened doors to this church. And at the time, uh, our family was living in Humboldt Park, a neighborhood that I love here in our city. And there we were in Humboldt Park, and it was a spring day. I remember that. It was, it was around spring break. Our kids were little at the time, so they weren't in school. So we were kind of swapping who was at home with them while we were starting this church. And I noticed it was on a Monday uh, morning a, across the street from our house. There's an old school that's since been shut down. And there in the parking lot, a, a church van pulled up. <laughs> A church van pulled up, just like the one in much better shape than our old church van. But a church van pulled up and outpiled all these high school kids, sweet, well-intended high school kids that had given up their spring break to come to a service project 
in my neighborhood. And they were going around picking up trash around the neighborhood. Very sweet, very kind, grateful that they would do that. And they set up a big camp. They had all kinds of inflatables, and they were going to do a camp for all the little kids. They came to our door and invited our kids to come to this camp, this Bible camp that they were doing. I thought, well, that's really sweet. That helps with childcare for the week. And so I was excited about uh, that. Uh, but it wasn't until later in the week that a couple of them came back to our door and knocked on our door and said, hey, we're, you know, this group from this church out in the suburbs, really sweet kids, we're in this group uh, out in the suburbs, and we just want to know if there's any way we can meet any needs for you right now. And that's when it hit me. Oh, I'm the them to them. They're the us. I'm the them. Boom. Took me all those years to get that. As I sat there having a moment with God, looking into their sweet, well-intended eyes, the only words I could think to say was, yeah, we got a bunch of weeds actually here in the front yard, and I have a mower in back. If you don't mind, that would be awesome if you could do, no, I didn't do that. I did not have them do that. I just had them wash our car. I just thought that was more reasonable. So do, you get, do you get the switch? Do you get the switch? When we create categories like that, poor, not poor, us, them, we, we miss. Again, Jesus defied and redefined all of that. He himself, physically in this world, being poor and yet having the fullness of the spirit and the power and the presence of God with him. Our city is notorious for this. You know this. That we, we categorize, we push people into corners of our city, us and them, rich and poor. The loop, outside the loop. We do that in our city. In fact, right now, just right now in our city, do you know that one in five adults, one in five adults in our city live at or below the poverty line in the city of Chicago? One in five. Just look down your row. That would be several people from your row live at or below the poverty line in our city. Here's one. One in three children in our city live at or below the poverty line. This last year in our city, over 10,000 families experienced homelessness in their everyday life. 10,000 families experienced homelessness this last year. It's all around us, and yet if we're being really honest, sometimes it's so hard to see, to even wrap our heads or our hearts around. Why, why do you think that is, that our city is kind of, in some ways, even set up that way, that we don't see it or don't have to see it? Could it be that the reason is we so often fail to see the poverty of others is because we fail to see the poverty in ourselves. I think this is actually what Jesus was getting at. That the reason we so often fail to see the poverty of others is because we fail to see the poverty in me. That I am actually who Jesus was talking about at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, Jesus didn't say, actually, Blessed are the poor in possessions. He didn't say, blessed are the poor of resources. Blessed are the poor of privilege. No, what he actually said was, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does he mean by that? What he's saying is, oh, how lucky you are when you get in touch with, when you come to see your own neediness. That I am actually broken and needy inside of me. That there is greed inside of me. There's prejudice inside of me. There's hate inside of me. That I am actually poor in spirit. That I am in need of God. If I were not in need of God, then I would have no need of God. But I am, in fact, 
poor of spirit. Blessed are you who actually get that you don't have it all figured out. Blessed are those who are discouraged and defeated and deflated and depressed. Why? Because you know when you get in touch with your own poverty of spirit within you, your own neediness for God, for something greater than yourself, you are actually then more open to receive what only God can give. That's why you are blessed. Oh, how lucky you are when you recognize and realize that you too, that you, that I am poor in spirit. When I get in touch with my own internal poverty, that that's actually me, I am far more open to see and to be with you in whatever your poverty may be. But I can't see you or be with you if I can't get in touch with my own poverty inside of me. You know this, right? You've seen people, celebrities, mega millionaires that you've watched or read about or heard about that seemingly have it all in this world but have nothing to show for it. And maybe you've met folks, maybe you've gone on one of our trips to El Salvador, or you've met folks in your neighborhood where you live or with one of our partners here at Soul City who seemingly don't have all that you might think is important according to this world, and yet they have far greater joy, far greater purpose, a far deeper sense of community, and a much more powerful reality of love. Could, could it be that maybe we've kind of got this whole us-them thing all wrong? That it's me. I have poverty in me. And I have to get in touch with that if I'm going to experience what Jesus is talking about, the blessing that comes from getting in touch of that within myself. And if I can just be real for one second, I want to wrap up here in a second, but if I can just, can I go off for just one second? Is that, well, I'm going to. Um, <laughs> I think right now in our country, we are living in a moment where people, there's a, uh, I'll call it a strand of Christianity, or maybe it's a brand of Christianity that has become completely obsessed with political power. And they're willing to hitch their wagon to leaders who they believe can accomplish their greater agenda. And they go on TV or they write reports or they tweet things or they put things out there and they are saying and doing some of the stupidest things in the name of Jesus, all to accomplish their agenda, all the while forsaking the actual agenda of Jesus and forgetting about the poor. And I'm telling you, our country, our country is tired of it. And if I can be really like, they're not impressed with your pursuit and obsession with power, either some political figure's power, the president's power, or your own inflated sense of power. The country is done with it. And can I be really, really honest? God's not impressed either. That doesn't move the heart of God. You hitching your wagon to some political agenda to accomplish this? No. I have to get in touch with, you have to get in touch with your own sense of poverty, that I am in need of God. And when I do, I can be with you in whatever need you may have. I can come alongside of you and not actually miss the heartbeat and the life of Jesus. I believe that when you and I do that, we actually get in touch with the irrefutable. Again, you cannot read this book, you cannot look at this Jesus without seeing God's heart for the poor. The irrefutable, irresistible invitation to love and justice. I think this is actually what our weary world is waiting for us to do. To begin to live this out personally through our presence. 
Not just tweets and Instagram posts and putting this person on blast and that person on blast and having this agenda. No, your presence in your own poverty, being with the poverty of others. That's what partnership actually looks like. That's what moves and aligns with the heart of God. That's why it's so important to us. And we've made it a part of our 2020 vision as a church. This has been important to us from the day we opened our doors. But one of our big six initiatives as we move into and through the year 2020 is that we want to see everyone within these walls serving outside these walls. Everyone. Because we believe that aligns with the heart of Jesus. Listen, I love when I see you here on Sunday. It's really great to be with you. I think this is important. I think this has a place. I think it's incredibly important. But if this is all we do, shame on us. Can I, I mean, I'm just, since I'm being real, they gave me the mic. This is not the point. This is a part. But this is not the point of it all. It's for us to go and be with those who Jesus not only was with, but was himself. And I couldn't be more excited for the person that God has chosen and gifted and equipped to lead us in that charge. Someone who's been a part of our church and a volunteer and serving in Love Works for a while, but now God is through this season. God has brought her in to be the director of Love Works. I want us to give a Soul City loving appreciation for our Love Works director, Madeline Holler. Hey, Maddie. Hey, Jarrett. Good to see you again. Good to see you. <laughs> Uh, so Maddie, uh, you and CJ, your husband CJ, have been a part of this church for five years. Like I mentioned, you've been a, a volunteer here uh, in Love Works. Tell us just a little bit, though, about yourself. Wh wh who are you? Where are you at? Where are you from? All that kind of stuff. Awesome. Yeah, so like Jarrett mentioned, my name's Madeline. Um, I've been a part of Soul City for about five years now. Um, really with a part of all things Love Works really st since I started here at Soul City, um, kind of one of those like crazy volunteers, I guess, that just dives right in, but um, have been a part of the Christmas store, if anyone here has been a part of that um, for the past few years, as well as uh, leading trips to El Salvador with one of our partners in Lasse. Um, so it's just been a privilege to be a part of that for the past few years. Um, I live not far from here, right by the United Center, actually right across the street from one of our LoveWorks partners, Brown Elementary. Um, I deeply love my neighborhood uh, and this city. Um, I grew up north of the city uh, and am the oldest of six children. Um, and if I could tell you one thing about my time growing up, it really was that uh, my parents created such a welcoming um, and really open household where anyone was welcome and accepted. Um, and this just deeply taught me what it meant to live like Jesus, um, to welcome all. I think there was a time where I could have been mad that there were people always in and out of our home that kind of like broke our family structure in some way. But honestly, it's because of the way that they lived by example um, that I am who I am today. So I, I can't believe I get to do this every single day now. It is such a privilege to be here and such an answer to prayer. I love it. I think you're, most of your family was here last weekend. At the yes, Easter, they were. Really yeah. I think there might be a picture. Look yeah. At that. Some of us. Like <laughs> Some, there's not the all, whole there's crew, more. There's a lot more. <laughs> I love that. So, Maddie, um, for you, you just talked a little bit about the family you grew up in. When, for you, did the compassion and justice become kind of this irrefutable, irresistible call on your life? Can you remember how that happened for you? 
Yeah, um, so it's tough to think of one like light switch or got it moment in my life. Um, I would say visiting Haiti right after the earthquake in 2010 um, was kind of the first time that I saw poverty at a different level than I had experienced here. Um, but also uh, working with young girls who were trafficked in the state of Connecticut um, was also really impactful. And both of those were incredibly key in shaping who I am. Um, but it wasn't until I was living in Uganda for a season mm -hmm. that you mentioned this, but um, like getting to know someone, getting to know people, um, being there for not just a short amount of time, mm -hmm. um, getting to see people for who they were, for who I was, uh, made me understand that we are all experiencing poverty and that mm -hmm. it looks incredibly different in all situations. Yeah. Um, and actually, Pastor Jeannie says something so eloquently that everything changes when it's someone you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's so key for us to understand and really was key for me in my understanding that um, compassion and justice are so directly linked to who I am as a person. And if I'm going to call myself a Christian, that compassion and justice are a non-negotiable, so. Mm, that's awesome, man. that's powerful. So you, and, I, and that's true, because I know that you've worked for other nonprofits uh, um, here in Chicago and connected around the world, but. Uh, right now you are working here at Soul City, and we're so honored to have you on our staff and our team. Um, why is it that you're working, at, why do you work at a church, Maddie? All the difference you could be making in the world, and you, yet you've chosen to direct that energy and efforts through the local church. What would you say is um, kind of the, the church's unique role in justice and compassion? Um, in the, or maybe another way to say it is, what can only the church do? Mm, a lot of great yeah. partners that we have yeah. in this space, but what can only the church do when it comes to love and justice? Yeah, that's so great. Um, I would say my first weekend here at Soul City, actually when I was first sitting here, um, I can't remember who said it from stage, but someone shared of one of Soul City's values um, that the church is greater seven days a week rather than one. If you've been around here for a week. Uh, you've probably heard that before. Um, but that was the first time I had heard an outward expression of the church declaring that we need to be the church seven days a week and not just one. Um, and that so uh, intensely stuck with me um, and made me realize that the church is such a unique space where we have the people, yeah. we have the spaces, the resources to come around someone and come around communities holistically. That's so cool. I know organizations can really um, address maybe like one topic or one mm -hmm. point um, or one issue, if we would want to call it that. But the church has such a unique way because we can we can pray, we can address spiritual needs and yeah. I just think that that's incredibly unique that we are this built-in community, community yeah. um, that can just really be um, a part of someone's life holistically yeah I love that idea that you know when Jesus was asked what's the most important commandment he said love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all your soul with all your mind and all your strength and then love your neighbor as yourself and to take that same model the church has this unique position to love others yeah heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love their whole person, and then to do what you lead us so well to do, to partner with great organizations that can come and meet those mm -hmm. specific needs. Mm -hmm. um, so for you, with all that God has done um, in and through our church and all that we have to learn and grow into, what would you say is a hope and prayer for you as you lead our church uh, in this regard? What's a hope and prayer you have for our church? Yeah, um, I don't know if it's a hope, a prayer, or a commission, but a call. Uh, I think that love does not work unless it's put to work. Um, so we've said words like compassion and justice and seeing others and knowing others, um, but that 
requires something of us. Yeah. Uh, it requires for us to give of ourselves, give of our time, give of our resources, and that is not always easy. Um, I think love is a very beautiful word, but we will not be responding the way that Jesus wants us to respond unless we put it to work, unless yeah. we go out, we yeah. leave these doors, we be the church seven days a week right. rather than just one. Yeah. So don't just, in other words, don't just talk about it, be about it. Do it. Yeah. Right, <laughs> be got, it. Got it. Awesome. <laughs> Well, uh, what's if someone wanted to, we're going to be talking more at a more in-depth level next week, but if today someone here or watching online wanted to take a next step or maybe just grow kind of their understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about Love Works, uh, what would be a great next step for them? Yeah, so um, besides being people of compassion and justice every day, which is a very um, strong call that yeah. we are given, um, the best next step would really to be um, checking out our LoveWorks website, or landing page, sorry, not website, landing page, um, that has uh, up-to-date information on everything that's going on in the coming months um, and ahead. Mm -hmm. So that would be the best next step. It's something that we keep updated um, and will keep updated moving forward. But Jarrett alluded to this, but next week we actually um, will have some very practical next steps with some of our local partners um, here in Chicago that will be speaking to us about all that they're doing, um, yeah. really to holistically come around people as well, yeah. um, which is why we are partners with them. And so after each service next week, there will be in, like very specific next steps. So you do not want to miss um, what's coming up next week. I love it. Matty, you're talking uh, pastor's language when you say, just come back next week. I really I feel like that's what I want to say every week. Just come back. We love to see you again. So, but really come back. No, but it's really come great. back. Yeah, you're right. I'm so excited. We've worked really hard on this panel. We have folks um, from pretty high levels of government in our city, activists, and then partners as well that are all going to help us see Chicago with new eyes and hopefully love it with a much deeper heart that aligns with Jesus. So I, I think this is exciting for us and to talk about, but it's also met with the reality that we live in a world that is, um, at times, it just feels overwhelming mm. with disaster and catastrophe yeah. and violence and suffering. Um, we think back to this last Easter Sunday when we witnessed hundreds of people's lives taken in Sri Lanka at a place of worship and places throughout the city where just this senseless violence occurred. Um, we saw just this weekend, if you were following the news, a synagogue in San Diego um, where a gunman walked in and took the life so far of one, several others injured. And, and you don't even have to look around the world. You don't have to look across our country. Every day in our city, lives are taken. Mm -hmm. Every day in our city, there are people suffering and struggling in systems and in structures of poverty that is, we don't have to look far to see this. And it can feel overwhelming. And I love what you said, that we as a church had this special call to follow Jesus and to actually pray, to not just pray, but to also pray. Mm -hmm. And I would love if you would be willing to pray for us and for our church right now. Absolutely. Yep. Awesome. So can we stand to pray? And then we're going to close with a song centering our heart on Jesus. But I thought it would be great for us to do that. You know, we take postures of prayer a lot around here. We say this all the time. It's a way that our body tells our heart what to do. And so some of you already opened up your hands to pray. That's lots of times that's how we pray. What I want to do this time is actually have you put one hand over your heart. Uh, we're not going to say a pledge or anything like that. But one hand over your heart. And that's to represent, make this true of me, Jesus.
in me first. Let me see my own poverty. Mm -hmm. So this is to say, let it, be, let it be true of my heart. And then we're going to raise one hand up to pray for our neighborhoods, to pray for our city, to pray for our country, pray for our world. So it's a way of saying, may it be true mm -hmm. of me, and may you do the, what only you can do, God, in this world. So Maddie, would you pray for us? Yeah, absolutely. Lord, thank you so much that we can be here worshiping you freely today. I know that that is not the case for so many around the world. Lord, I pray that you move in our hearts and in our spirits to be people of compassion, of justice, of love in every part of our lives, yes. in all of who we are, in yes. all of what we do. Lord, we pray specifically this week for Sri Lanka, for yes. all of the families who have lost loved ones, yes. for the people who have been responding all week and will continue to respond yes. to the devastation there in the weeks and months ahead. And Lord, like Jarrett mentioned, we pray for San Diego. <laughs> we know that um, in times like this, it is hard to see your goodness. Mm. But Lord, we pray that people call on you because their hearts are so broken. And Lord, we pray for the city of Chicago. Yes. We know that every moment of every day, especially as it get, it's getting warmer outside, Lord, that the violence is just creeping up on each of our streets. And Lord, I just pray for this radical transformation that we as the church can come alongside our brothers and sisters in the neighborhoods that we are in. And Lord, I pray that we can be the church yes. to individuals across the city, our country, and the world. Lord, thank you that you are our foundation, yes. that you are our cornerstone, yes. that we can be in you um, and be loved by you yes. so that we can know who you are to go out into the world and love others deeply. Yes. Lord, we thank you for this time together, and we pray that you move in our spirits and our hearts as we go about our week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.